You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Thank you, Skylar and the team for leading us. Well, if you're new to Bethel, uh, let me introduce myself. Most of you know who I am. I'm Todd Wright. I'm the worship pastor here at the South Campus, but today I get the privilege of speaking to you during our teaching time. Before we get started, though, let me remind you of a couple things. If it's your first time with us, we want to make sure that you stop back at the back at the welcome table. We've got a little gift for you. We'd love to meet you. Second of all, black notebooks. If you're on the far left side of the road, now is the time that you'd reach under there. Grab that notebook, fill it out, let us know you're here, let us know if you have any prayer requests, if you need anything from the church, it's the best way to let us know. We do look at those every week, make sure that we kind of know what's going on with you. So if you take that out, uh, fill it out, pass it down to the end, that, that'd mean so much to us. Thank you for being here. I know you could be on the lake or on the couch, but you all came here for me, and I really appreciate that. Um, so I have been here at Bethel uh, for eight years. As a matter of fact, Thursday was my eight-year anniversary being on staff here at Bethel. And while this is my first time to teach during the sermon time uh, here, it's not the first time that I've preached. So at just about every other church I've preached at before or, or worked at before, I've done this from time to time. And I tell you that so I can be real honest with you that when I came here eight years ago, I thought I was a really good preacher. I mean, I thought I was awesome. Uh, I'm not saying I came to take over, but I think if you had seen me eight years ago and you'd said, hey, do you want to preach some? I'd have said, give me that microphone. I can do this. And then I heard the preachers here, uh, Ross and the pastoral staff and elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers. I mean, Bethel is like the Olympic village of preachers. I mean, they're everywhere around every corner. So I say all that to hopefully communicate to you that it is an honor and a privilege uh, to stand up here and I don't take it lightly. Those of you who've preached before will identify with this. My hope and my prayer today is that you'll leave thinking about God's Word uh, more than the guy who got up here and taught from it. So uh, in your Bibles, I want you to go to Philippians 2, all right? We're going to be in Philippians 2. We're not going to jump right in there, but I want you to go ahead and have it. Philippians 2, that's where we'll be this morning. I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but everything uh, will, will be coming out of Philippians 2 that we want to make note of. So I believe that there are two ways that we interact with God's Word. So I think if you were to collect all the different ways that you intersect or interact with Scripture, I personally think that you could lump that into two categories, okay? And the first category is probably the most obvious one to you. But the first way that we interact with Scripture uh, is this word, it's this image of a diet, a diet of Scripture. This simply means the daily, consistent regular nourishment intake of God's Word. So maybe you do a quiet time. Uh, Maybe you buy a Bible study at the bookstore and you do that. Maybe you've got an app on your phone uh, that reminds you to read God's Word. A a, a large number of our interactions with Scripture come as a means of the diet. And God's Word is very much for the diet. Real quick, just bullet list. 2 Timothy 3 says, "...all Scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching." for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
book of Jeremiah chapter 15 doesn't pull any punches. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. And I, uh, I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. The Bible has a lot to say about the nourishment that, that we need to get from God's word. That is absolutely an important way. And I'll just tell you the most important way to get God's word into your life. The, the daily consistent intake. Now, I know you may be thinking, oh, this is going to be a sermon about reading my Bible. It's not. It's not that. But I want to encourage you that there are a couple of places we'll talk about today that you may want to make a note. You may want to go, oh, I can read about that. In fact, some of the stuff we talk about today might even jumpstart your diet of Bible reading. So that's the first way, diet. The second way, I'm going to mix my metaphors here, but I think that it'll make sense. So if the first way is the diet, the consistent, regular intake of God's Word, the second way would be the image of a life preserver. So there are times where you go to God's Word kind of out of the blue, where you reach for God's Word because you're drowning and you need something. And that is also a valid way to go to God's Word. Some of you know this. Some of you have experiences. Probably most of us have. Some of you have sat in hospital rooms or funeral homes, and you've had tears coming down your cheeks, and you've grabbed God's Word like a life preserver looking for comfort. Some of you have had knock-down, drag-out fights with a spouse or a family member or a child, and You've grabbed God's word after that looking for wisdom. The life preserver is absolutely a way that we go to God's word. And in fact, in just a minute, when we start talking about Philippians 2, we, we, we need a life preserver. Philippians 2 is a life preserver for us today. So let me just say this, just a little aside. The life preserver thing is very real. It's very, very real. If we're being honest, we go to God's word like that a lot. But you want to know the best way to use God's Word as a life preserver is to have a good diet of God's Word. you got to know what God's Word says if you want to go to it to find comfort. You cannot go from drama to drama to drama to drama Googling what, what did Jesus say about this every time you get in a bind. You want to have a diet of Scripture. But that doesn't diminish the reality of our need for those life preservers. And I believe that our church right now is in a need of a life preserver. In fact, I think we're in a little bit of a bind. And I think Philippians 2, for some of us today, it might be that rescue. It, it might be there. Now, I want to give you some setup of what's going on in Philippians 2. Now, I'm going to confess something to you. I am always the guy getting in Ross's face every week going, you're preaching too long. Giving too much context, too much background. You're taking too much time. And he always says, okay, buddy, we'll see. We'll see. Aren't you preaching in September? Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I'm tempted to do that. I found that out. I've, I've been looking at this. I've been studying this. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a story that happened a couple weeks ago. I had the sermon pretty much done, and I had built this whole section in the middle about context. And I, I was driving with my wife, and we were kind of on a long drive. We were going to Dallas. She goes, hey, how's your sermon going? I'm like, would you like me to do it for you? I've got it mostly memorized. And she goes, sure, honey, go ahead. And so, I mean, I nail it. I mean, it's sweet, you know. It's only 80 minutes long, but it's okay. And I do it, and I really hit that context section in the middle. I mean, it was, it was nice. And 
kind of finish up and kind of looking at her. She's like, oh, that's good. That's good. She's like, hey, that context thing in the middle. I'm like, right, I know. What's up? And she's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I, I spent hours on it. She goes, well, I think it means a lot to you, or maybe you understand it, but you're not communicating to me what, what the big deal is. You seem real excited about this, but I don't know why I should be excited about this. So I went back to the drawing board, and now you're going to get the context thing, right? But hopefully it's better than when I did it for my wife. But I want you to understand what's happening in Philippians 2. See, that's what we know when we go to God's Word. It's not just a matter of just opening up and reading something. We kind of need to understand what's happening. So I'm going to give you some context clues today. We're going to put them up on the screen. This is one of those points where you might could write out, if you're not a Bible reader, I'm going to encourage you to read up on some of this. So this is what we know about Paul's relationship to the Philippians. In Acts 16, Paul has a dream. And there's a man in his dream just called the Macedonian man. So Macedonia is this region in what we now know as Greece. And this Macedonian man appears to Paul in a dream saying, come to us, come to us, come preach to us. And Paul and Silas just get up and go to Macedonia. They just go. And, and they end up in Philippi. Okay, So here are some of the things that happen in Acts 16. Now, I can't hit everything that happened in Acts 16. I tried that with my wife. It didn't work. But let me tell you, if you're not a Bible reader, if you don't have a diet of Scripture, you could read Acts 16 this week. You could read it tomorrow morning. And I'm going to tell you something. It's one of the craziest series of stories in the Bible. It's ridiculous. It's like better than Stranger Things, right? You can just read it. It's exciting. It's mysterious. It's adventurous. But I just want to hit a couple of things. So one of the context clues that happens in Acts 16 is Paul's relationship to a woman named Lydia. So if you read it, you're going to read about Lydia. And what happened was Paul began looking for a place where he could fellowship with other believers. He's walking around Philippi, and he can't find any. But Acts 16 leads us to believe there's no church there. There's no regular corporate gathering of God's people. And so Paul meets this woman named Lydia. And it says that Lydia, Acts 16 will tell us that Lydia is a, a believer in God. She believes that there's a God. But then it tells us that Paul actually leads her to Jesus. And he, he converts her and then leads her whole family to Jesus. So that's one thing that happens in Acts 16. That matters. Then, after some other crazy stuff, Paul and Silas end up in prison. You probably remember this story. This is also in Acts 16. Same chapter. Paul and Silas are in prison. They're chained up. They're worshiping God. They're praying. They're encouraging one another, having their own little praise party there. And God begins to shake the prison so violently that the cell doors fly open and their chains come off, but they don't escape. They stay there. And you'll remember this jailer comes in. So you've got Lydia and then you've got the jailer. And the jailer comes in and he can't believe they're not gone. He's so impressed with him. And Paul and Silas also lead him to faith. They go home with him and lead his whole family to faith. Now, why does that matter in the context? Because, as best we can tell, that's the start of the church in Philippi. That's it, right there. Paul just started the church. He was the first guy to do that. So Lydia, the context of Lydia, the jailer, the context of the jailer. And then, the last thing I want you to know is where Paul is when he's writing Philippians 2 that we're about to look at, because he doesn't stay there long. He's actually in prison when he writes this letter to the Philippians. Most likely he's in Rome. But he's now removed from them. This is not, Paul didn't write this letter because somebody said, hey, 
Would you encourage my friends in Philippi? He already knew them. He knew them. So if we look at Philippians 1, we find out what Paul says. I want to read to you from Philippians 1, 12 through 14. You can turn there or you can look on the screen. It doesn't matter. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Philippians 1, 19-22, just a few verses down. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. This is a letter from a pastor to his congregation. And Philippians 1 is like the ultimate year-end Christmas letter from Paul. He's writing to these guys and he's updating them. Yes, I'm in prison, but your encouragement to me, your prayerful support of me, all the things that you've invested in me are bearing fruit. He said, these, these people who are here with me, they are bolder in th their faith. They are more confident. God's blessing. Philippians 1 is all, it's really like the thank you note. It's Paul saying, hey, church in Philippi, it's working. Whatever you're doing is working. You are helping me. This is a pastor talking to a congregation that he's disconnected from. And then we get to Philippians 2. We get to Philippians 2 where Paul now turns and says, okay, Philippi, you've been an encouragement to me. Philippians 1, you've been an encouragement. And Philippians 2, he turns around and goes, I want to encourage you. Now, I'm going to speak into your life. Philippians 2, 1 through 2. Here we go. This is what Paul says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul turns to the Philippians after verse one, or chapter 1 and says, all right, now I'm going to encourage you. And this is, he tells them, if you want to encourage me, if you want to support me, if you have love for me, if the Spirit's going to use, use you, if you want to, to support me and encourage me, you need to complete my joy. And then, as soon as he says that, he tells them, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is talking about connection here. He's talking about unity. He's looking at these people, writing this letter and saying, okay, if you really want to make me joyful, if you really want to show you care about me, you'll be of the same mind. You'll be in full accord. Why is that a life preserver for us today? Because in eight years of being here, there's been one consistent complaint, struggle, problem that I have encountered over and over and over at our church. 
The most consistent repeating thing that I hear over and over, over eight years, I have said in living rooms and in coffee shops and email threads and text messages, and this is what I've heard more than any other thing in eight years. Hey, I think we're going to leave Bethel because we just, we just can't get connected here. We, we, don't know, we don't know if it's us. We don't know if it's you. But, but we got to go. We, we can't get connected here. And Philippians 2, which we're about to dig into, is the life preserver. If that's you today, and some of you that is you, but if that's you today, I want to speak to you from Philippians 2 because Paul begins to teach us how we respond to disconnection, how we can fight it, how we can be of one accord, how we can be of the same mind. As I was getting ready for this, I started thinking over eight years um, about, about this issue and count it up, just, just to be perfectly candid, <clears throat> in my little world, how many musicians we've lost, because that's my world, right, musicians. And it was a lot of musicians. And I want to tell you, every one of those musicians I've lost still have a great relationship, but almost every single one of them, that's what they said. That they were almost tearful saying, I love playing, I love you guys, but wait, I just can't get connected. Other than just, other than just you, Todd, I, I don't know how to connect with people. So look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Because Paul's about to tell us that if we want to be unified, we've got to make sacrifice. And he's going to teach us about sacrifice. And the first thing he teaches us is that sacrifice is Christ-like. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul tells us to count others more significant than ourselves and then reminds us of the ultimate example of humility. He says, don't look to your own interest. Count others more significant than yourself. Oh, by the way, this is what Jesus did. So Philippians 2, 3 through 11 is this picture of sacrifice is Christ-like. He's the model. He's the example. I want to be like Jesus. You probably want to be like Jesus. There's sometimes I'll walk around thinking, how can I be more like Jesus? And Paul in Philippians 2 says, make sacrifices. He's the one to aim for. He's the one who's highly exalted. He's the one that was with God and humbled himself. Sacrifice is Christ-like. Now remember, Paul's talking to people about connection. He says, you want to be of one accord? You want to be of one mind? Be like Jesus. Jesus is the example. I am not, listen, I am not trying to downplay the difficulties of, of disconnection here. Because one of the things or the, the sort of things that I often hear in these eight years when you, when you come into contact with people who are struggling is you'll hear a lot of stuff like, man, we, nobody invites us to lunch. 
You know, just Sunday afternoon, nobody invites us to lunch. Nobody, nobody wants to hang out with us. Nobody really seems to care what we're going through. And I, I've heard that a lot. And, man, if that's you, I am sorry. I'm sorry that that has been the case. Here's the thing I haven't heard a lot. Ah, man, we just keep inviting people to lunch. Nobody will go. You know? We, we keep trying to hang out with people, and they just, we call people to hang out, and they just hang the phone up right in our face. I, I don't hear that. Philippians 2, just with a bullet, like as soon as it starts, it's like, hey, this thing about being one accord and of one mind, it's about sacrifice. And unless you know that Jesus is the model for that, that Jesus is the example, it, it is hard. But I love this reminder. I want to be like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, you'll make sacrifices. I'll make sacrifices. Paul reminds us that if we want to be like him, we'll count others more significant than ourselves. Sacrifice is Christ-like. Next, number two, sacrifice is God's model. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul's not a dummy here. So Paul says, sacrifice is Christ-like. Be of one accord. Here's what Jesus did. And then, boom, gets to verse 12. And he says, get to work. It's God's plan for you to work for his will and his pleasure. We should work out our salvation knowing that God is the one who's working in us. Sacrificing yourself is hard. It is a challenge. It's difficult. But verse 12 through 13 sure does seem to say there's some sort of correlation between giving of yourself and God's pleasure. Sacrifice is Christ-like. Sacrifice is God's model. It's what he wants me to do. It's what he wants you to do. Sacrifice isn't the exception. It's the rule. So sacrifice is Christ-like. Sacrifice is God's model. Third, sacrifice is sweet. Listen to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, so sacrifice is Christ-like. Sacrifice is God's model. Sacrifice is sweet. And it's sweet in two ways. First of all, it's sweet in the way you probably assume. Let me read it again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless. This scripture confronts me in all sorts of ways. My family can tell you. My friends can tell you. The pastoral staff can tell you. And the band can certainly tell you, I am a grumbler. I am. I'm a grumbler. I'm a disputer. And yet here's Philippians 2 that says, if you want to be blameless, you'll do this without grumbling or disputing. Sacrifice has a sweetness to it. It isn't begrudging. I want to be sweet in my sacrifices. I want to be connected to you in a way that's God-honoring, in a way that's sweet. But it's also sweet in the long run. 
Even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. I use this terminology in my life. I don't mean to, but I do on a pretty regular basis. And that's, that, that's how I use that terminology, like poured out or spent. You know, there's some days I'll get to the end of the day, it's been maybe a real tough day in ministry, or it's been a tough day with the kids, or maybe been a tough day in the marriage. And there, there are lots of days where I get home and I'll think that I'm poured out. I'm spent. I got nothing left to give. And you probably have those days too. You may feel that way like I do. There are days where life just saps you. You know, those are the type of days where you, maybe you finally get dinner done and the dishes are kind of done. If you've got kids, maybe they're doing homework and, and you have this thought, I have them and I know you have them. You sit down and you've finally got some quiet in the day and you think, I need to call that guy. I need to call that guy. I know he's been struggling. I need to, I need to check on the neighbor across the street. She's got those two little kids and I know it's hard. I really ought to go over there. I need to talk to my mom. I need to spend time with some people. And if you're like me, those thoughts come to your head and way too many times you go, ah, I just got nothing to give. I'm just empty. I'll do it tomorrow. But here's Paul saying, even if I am poured out like a drink, even if I am emptied out I will be glad. It's this sweet, sore exhaustion of sacrifice. It's laying your head on the pillow at night completely, completely empty, but knowing that you've been like Jesus. It's not begrudging. When I show up here on Sunday, I want to look around and I want to connect with you, and I don't want to think of it like a checklist. I don't want to... I don't want to have th this sort of filter over my head, this sort of legalism of, oh, I guess I better go connect. I want that to come from within me. I want it to be sweet. Doesn't mean it'll be easy, but I want it to be sweet. Sacrifice is Christ-like. Sacrifice is God's model, and sacrifice is sweet. The challenge for you and for me today is more than just, oh gosh, yeah, Todd talked about something I'm, I'm feeling. I do feel disconnected. That's not the point. And the point really is for, for you, is not for you to walk away thinking, wow, great, great job, or man, the band did good, or wow, the temperature in the room was just fine. And none of the things that the point of today is this challenge that I want to give you. This week, uh, I've had all these people kind of coming in my life, you know, coworkers and family and stuff, because they know I'm preaching and I've never preached here before. And so they're like, hey, you ready? You, you, are you ready for Sunday? Like, yeah, yeah, ready. And then they'll be like, so, so what are you talking about? And I realize they're all kind of checking up to make sure I'm, I'm ready. Like, they're maybe a little bit worried. Like, no, 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 do your sermon. Let's hear it, you know. But in one of those conversations, I had a friend, and he, uh, he mentioned a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours. He, he knows the guy better than I do, but he said, hey, you know, this, this thing, this Philippians 2 thing, it makes me think, he says, do you know this guy? And I, I knew him. He said, do you know about the sign on his desk? you know about the little plaque he's got? I said, no, man, I don't even know the guy that well. He said, yeah, in his office, his desk, he comes, it's not a big office, but he come in and he goes around the corner and when he sits down at his computer, there's this little plaque it's kind of right under his computer where he can't miss it, and it's got three words on it. And those three words are, make the call. That's all it says, make the call. Now, here's the genius of that 
sign. The genius of that sign is not, oh, well, yeah, I got a reminder there. Yeah, I need to, you yeah. know. The genius of that sign or that plaque or whatever it is is that there's always a call you can make. In fact, if I made you all get out your phones and ask you to think of one person that you know is hurting or is in need, every one of you could come up with a call to make. My challenge for you today is to find a way right now to sacrifice. And I'll tell you what that means. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And we'll be done. And Skylar and the band are going to come up and they're going to sing the bridge of this new song they taught you today. It's a song called Imitation Song. And they're playing that to give you some time to pray and to think. Because when Skylar says amen or you're done or whatever, this is what I'm asking you to do. Before you hit the brown doors today, before you walk out there, there, or there, or there, I'm challenging you to find somebody and to brave the awkwardness and go, hey, go to lunch with me today. Now, you don't have to pay for their lunch, okay? Let's just get that out there, right? We'll, just, we'll, go, we'll go Habsies, okay? But to find a way to find somebody and say, hey, we, we were kind of already going to go to lunch somewhere. Would you go to lunch with us? Would you just hang out with us? Or, or maybe there's somebody that you go, hey, come over to our house tonight. I, it's messy. There's toys everywhere. We're, and we're not going to clean it, so you might as well just prepare yourself. <laughs> but come hang out with us. Would you... Pray today about risking the awkwardness. Maybe there's a phone call that you need to make. Maybe when we're done and Skylar dismisses you, you need to stay in one of these blue chairs and get out your phone and you need to call somebody. Brent's already told you about Discover Bethel and the Bible studies. There's so many ways to get plugged in. But here's the deal. We can't advertise those enough to make you come to them. If you want to be like Jesus, and I do, will sacrifice. And listen, if you're one of the people who gets asked, somebody comes up to you and they, and they are willing to brave the awkwardness and they're kind of shuffling their feet like, hey, you want to go to lunch? Well, if you want to, you don't have to. Say yes. Like, don't shoot them down. Listen, some of you have a roast in the oven at home that could stay there. Some of you, some of you, could easily DVR whatever it is that you're dying to see today. Are you willing to sacrifice an hour or two? We want to fix the disconnection problem, and we do need to fix the disconnection problem. Philippians 2 is a life preserver for us today. Sacrifice is Christ-like. Sacrifice is God's model, and sacrifice is sweet. I'm going to pray. Skylar's going to play, and then when we're done, I want you to find a way to make the call today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Philippians 2. Thank you for this beautiful pastoral letter from Paul to remind us that our, our goal is to be like Jesus. God, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be sweet in my sacrifices. I want to come to the end of today and know that whatever exhaustion or weariness 
I feel has come because I've been a servant of what you've asked me to do. God, would you help us as a church to be more connected? We need you to help us. Some of us are fine, but some of us are not. God, with your Holy Spirit, would you just remind us and inspire us and give us the courage to make the call, to ask the question, to let another person into our lives, to get into the lives of other people, that our community and our connection and our sacrifices would show the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Would you speak to us now in these moments as we ponder, as we think? God, help us to make the call we need to make today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.